Last week, we started into beginning to understand this guy, David. Strangely enough, the name most mentioned in all of the Bible, more than any other person, is David. Radical. And so we know that outside of Jesus, because Jesus is on every page of the Bible, <laughs> if you know where to look, he's the most mentioned person in human history. And so clearly God has said it on a number of different levels, but simply if you're reading through the Bible, it would just simply happen that as you're reading the Bible and you're going through all the scriptures, you would walk away with a distinct flavor of this guy David is mentioned a lot. And it seems like several different things happen in his life. Some seem sort of insignificant, some are pretty outrageous, some really deep, dark times that I wouldn't expect God's man to go through. And God used him in ways that seems almost like a fairy tale at times, killing giants. What a story this guy has. But more importantly than anything, the Lord is saying, if you get David, you get me. Because David is a man after my own heart. What's that mean? He's like me. I'm like him. There, there's, a, there's a unity there that, that's taking place. And, and, and you say, but Lord, your heart is so holy and pure and without sin. And David, on the other hand, he makes pretty much all of us in this room look pretty good. How can, how can that be? And yet, we need to figure this out. We need to target in and, and say, yes, these statements of the Lord make us need to scratch our head and, and start reading and studying and wrestling with this to say, what is it, Lord, that you, out of all the scriptures, are pointing out in this man, David? You know, there's a precursor book to David, the book of Ruth. The very last word of the book of Ruth is David. It's going through his lineage. It's a, it's a wild and crazy story where this guy does the sin of sins and leaves the promised land and takes his two sons with him. And, and, and they go to the pagan world, if you would, outside the promised land, because there's a famine, and they're just trying to survive. But God's hand wasn't on the, this family. The, it, it turned out that everybody died, and Naomi was there, and, and, and her husband, Solomon, died. And then her oldest son died, after both of them marrying Moabites. And then another son died. And all she had now was these two Moabite women.
women now, if you know about the Moabites, their great-great-great-grandfather was Lot's incestuous relationship with his own daughter. Now that wasn't the, the whole of it. The people went on and, and they just became so wicked that they hated Israel. You guys might remember the story about the prophet whose donkey talked to him, Balaam. Well, that king was the king of Moabites, Balak. And he wanted Israel destroyed. And Balaam wanted the money and was willing to destroy it. But of course, God stopped him and only his mouth could only speak blessing. But God said, that's it. These Moabites, all of them, just like in Jericho, nobody survives. Wipe them out. They're a wicked people, enemies of God. It shall ever be known and, and that the Moabites are a cursed people to the children of Israel. But here's what's interesting. Ruth comes back to Bethlehem with Naomi. This Moabitess woman, and you guys might remember the story where finally Naomi worked it out and she this Moabite woman married this amazing guy of character, Boaz. Well, as the story concludes, they had a child by the name of Obed. Obed had a son by the name of Jesse. And Jesse had a son by the name of David. And so, according to the Israeli law today, your lineage to be a Jew is that of the moms. Today, to, to ask to be a Jewish citizen, you have to prove, not your dad, interestingly enough, but that your mom and your grandmother were both Jewish women. David couldn't do that. Interesting, by the Jewish law, David wouldn't be a Jew. Asked a tour guide that one time, he got very furious when he questioned his law. And he basically just said, look, if you worship Jesus, you could never be a Jew. And I'm like, huh, okay. Whatever Jesus, I think Jesus thinks a little differently. He's a Jew. That's just, uh, you know, your opinion, obviously. But anyway, he tells Samuel to go and anoint somebody to be king. I love it, the Lord says, for me. The Lord, as he told in 1 Samuel 13, it says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. So that story where Saul, instead of waiting, gives the sacrifice and Samuel shows up and says, you're, you've done foolishly, you're, you're not kept the commandment of the Lord, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you. And then it changes. The people at first came to God and said, we're seeking a king. And God gave them a king that they were seeking. And boy, Saul was the kingly looking type. But God now switches it and says, okay, the people's choice, I anointed him, I empowered him, God did everything possible. He, he, he had Samuel 
anoint Saul. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. Saul prophesied. It says that Saul was like a new man. But yet, there was something deep in the heart of Saul, and that was just a humble heart. Just do God's will. He was a self-willed, prideful, arrogant man who was not able to submit tenderly, joyfully to do the will of God. He felt that his will was as important as God's, or vice versa, his will should be as important to God's. In, in Acts 13, we don't hear about all of David's sins. The New Testament's gracious. Out of all that's written about King David, we just have a few things in the New Testament. All of them are sort of like this. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. A couple of other things after his own heart, God. But yet God is saying, hey, I'm looking at David through the cross. Jesus on the cross just didn't pay for the people's sins that were alive at that time. We know that Jesus' blood reached forward in human history to the last man that would ever sin. Him being 100% man, he could be the substitute for all men, but be God in spirit, he could be the substitute for all men for all times. And he went all the way to the past. And so now, the Lord in the New Testament presents David, and he says, after the cross, after taking all of David's sins upon myself, and being punished for that, and being buried in the deepest sea, scattered as far as the east is the west, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, God sets a fire to all of our house, the foundations Christ, but what's been built upon will only will remain that which is of precious stone. And when God covered David's life now through the eyes of looking through the cross, and God set David's house on fire, yes, some of it was hay wood and stubble that burnt up, but when everything that was left of the precious metals was left, David had something said about him that we do not see of any other man in history, at least in the Old Testament, I should say. Here is a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Now, again, as we look through the Bible on this, we begin to just find just this amazing constant, where when the Messiah comes, in the Old Testament it says when the Messiah comes, you're going to know his glory because it's going to be the glory of God, no, it's going to be the glory of King David. It's hard to imagine that God's in heaven all excited one day I'm going to go back to earth after I rapture the church and I'm going to go back and there's going to be this millennial reign and after the thousand year millennial reign I'm going to wipe everything out with the fervent heat. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and during the millennial reign and then for all of eternity I get 
to sit on the throne of David? A man. A man who lived 70 years and then died. A man who had some very deep values. But yet, Jesus, sort of like a childhood hero, says there's something about David's heart that I want to glorify through eternity. And the center place <coughs> is the throne, right? And Jesus, our Lord, sits upon the throne of David. We looked at a number of these verses last week. I put them back in your notes again. But at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches, to the churches. So here's the final statement I'd like to make about myself. I am the root and the offspring of David. And then a very clear messianic title, the bright and morning star. Interesting. He didn't say, I'm the holy of holy of holies. He does say three times in Revelation, I'm the first and the last, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And it amazes me that one of the final words of the Bible would be, and I want to proudly shout that I'm the king from the lineage of King David. You guys might remember that Isaiah 9, powerful passage we read. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the one who fathered eternity, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, listen, there will be no end. We read this at Christmas time concerning the first coming of Christ. But really, this passage isn't fulfilled until the second coming of Christ. Although Jesus has all those attributes to him, they were not encompassing the world. The whole world did not know the permeating counsel of God. The, the, the Prince of Peace, Satan's going to come, and the Antichrist claiming to be that, but he won't be. But then there's finally going to be the government of all the world is going to be upon his shoulder, and, and at that time, it will go on with no end. And then notice in verse 7 what he says. The government that will be upon his shoulder, the government will bring the, the increase of the government and peace. And then he says, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with justice, judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Do you get that? It, as we're going to read later, when David says, Lord, I, I hate that you're in this tabernacle. It's falling apart. I'm going to build you a temple. I'm going to build you a house fitting. And, and God said to David, why are you going to build me a house? But I'll tell you what I will do. I'm going 
you a house, David. And the house I'm going to build for you, David, will be forever. And this is what the Lord is speaking of here. And so we need to stop and realize God throughout eternity is going to establish a government throughout eternity and it's going to flow from that season of time when David was king. David, he was such a man after God's own heart. Jesus is saying, I can rule. That's me. I can rule for eternity with the heart of David. And I'm going to. So I am going to continue. David died, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to continue David's reign forever and ever and ever. We're picking up today in verse 12 there of 1 Samuel 16. And he sinned and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, reddish, bright eyes. You'll find the term in the Jewish culture, eyes, uh, as, as being attractive or not attractive. And good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Remember, Samuel never would have got it. Samuel saw the other sons of Jesse going, it's got to be this guy. Even this guy's even better. This guy's even better. And God just kept saying, no, 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 no. And finally, he says to Jesse, surely you have more sons. No, not, not really. Well, yeah, I mean, sort of. There's this little kid out watching the sheep. Yeah, not technically. He's my son. Sure, okay. So what's, what, do you, what do you want to know about it for? Go get him. And, and God made it clear to Samuel, man would never have picked this guy. But I, who look upon the hearts, he's the only guy. We see that he anointed him. David was a man that was a spiritual young man, as we're going to discover. In 2 Chronicles 6, 9, God's constantly looking for people to anoint the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those hearts who are loyal to him or surrendered to him. Right now, God is looking for David's. God's looking for men after his own heart. And when he finds them, he's going to anoint them. And he's going to strengthen them. And they're going to walk in the same heart of Jesus. We also know that God can't raise up anybody unless you're humble. Yeah, he can humble you, but you've got to humble yourself. And we see that in Psalm 78, 70, that David came from the, the lowest class system you could. He was a shepherd of not even his own sheep. You can't get lower. And this is in Psalm 89, 20, he says, I found my servant David in the palace, in the universities? No. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. He found him amongst the sheepfold. Psalm 78, 70 says, and finding David there in that humble place, he, was, he found a humble young man. But we also find that David was a man of integrity. In Psalm 78, verse 71 and 72, from following the youths that the young he brought in, 
to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance, to be shepherd them according to the integrity of his heart and guide them by the skillfulness of his hands. We know that David was a little boy when the lion and the bear came out. And no one would have questioned losing a couple of sheep. He's just a little boy. And, and it was a big bear, it was a big lion, right? But David is in his integrity is saying, I, I, it may cost me my life, but I'm not going to allow this little helpless sheep to be taken advantage of. A man of integrity. In verse 13, of 1 Samuel 16, 13, And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. It's seen here a couple of interesting things. This was a family ordeal. It seems that only his immediate family saw this. And it would probably be a family secret, unless they all get killed. Remember Samuel, in the last chapter, last, last week when we looked, God said, go anoint him, and, and he's going, Saul will kill me. I and mean, that's where Saul was. He doesn't care that Samuel's the most beloved leader, prophet of God in all of the country. Saul is so arrogant. He, 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 he would say, I don't, I don't care who disagrees with me on this. I'm going to kill him. And Samuel knew Saul wouldn't be that way. Well, how much more this little nobody family? Now, we're going to actually see David later get anointed by his tribe of Judah. And then later gets anointed for the third time and in front of the whole nation. So this was to comfort Samuel. Remember, Samuel was so bummed going, there's no heart after God. Our king is this self-willed individual. He's just, just a liar and just has a, a stubborn and rebellious heart. And, and it just grieves me that that's who's leading our nation. And, and it was just tearing him up. And, and God said, you know what? Go and anoint this boy. This boy. It was for Samuel. But it was also for David to realize, even though I'm out here in the middle of nowhere doing a nothing important item, the fact is, is that it's, it's significant. Do you get that? It's significant. I mean, I, I love to watch those shows like, you know, Abraham Lincoln. And they take him back, and he's out in this cabin in the nowhere, you know, having to learn how to chop wood and, and farm. And, and he had to fight to get a uh, education, you know, and all of these things. And, 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 and his old neighbors, is like, here's just some guy out in the backwoods, some lanky old, you know, some lanky kid. And yet we, we look back and we see how significant each and every step that was, wasn't it? And he, in essence, if David didn't already know this, if David didn't already get this, he needed to get it now. Wow, where I'm at, what I'm doing is preparation. And God is, whatever I've done thus far, God's hand is upon my life. 
And notice this, the Spirit came upon him. Now that, that's significant. Because in the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came upon Christians after the Holy Spirit had come into them. And so we, we see two distinct works of the Holy Spirit. There is an upon experience where God will empower a person. That, that could even happen in the Old Testament. We see Samson. The Spirit of God came upon him and he picked up the job out of the donkey. And in the power of God's Spirit, he, he slayed the thousand Philistines. But then later, when strike three happened and Delilah was cutting his hair, it says that the Spirit had departed from him and he knew not. Well, you say, well, that's in the Old Testament they could come upon him. No. The Holy Spirit can come upon people in the New Testament as well. Matter of fact, Jesus says there's going to be many people in that day saying, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not work miracles in your name? And Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. He doesn't question it. He doesn't say, yeah, you did. You prophesied. You did miracles. And my name and my spirit came upon you and you did those things. And then they said, well, why aren't you opening to me heaven? And he said, he said, be gone from me, you doers of iniquity. You only do your will. Whoa. There's going to be 100%, I think, of everybody in hell who got answered prayers. Who cried out, God help me, and God helped them. Lord save me, and the Lord saved them. So it's amazing how many non-Christians have dynamic stories of, there is a God, I think he helped me when I was, yeah. Guess what else is going to be in hell? I think there's going to be a lot of people that experience the power of God. I think there's going to be a lot of people who prophesied, like Balaam, like Saul, People that cast out demons and healed people like Judas. But I think there's going to be lots who can say, I have experienced the power of God's Spirit coming upon me, and God worked through me. But yet, what do we find? That doesn't mean you're born again, does it? This is why it's so important to understand that in the Old Testament, that's as far as it could go, is upon them. Until Jesus died and rose again, the Holy Spirit couldn't come into you. But when Jesus died and took all our sins upon himself and paid for our sins, and through his blood, he could wash us as white as snow unto his righteousness through his blood. Now his Holy Spirit could live in us. However, we find now in the New Testament, God's Holy Spirit departing from us is not the issue. 
He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But what do we find about the Holy Spirit? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we can quench the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is in us, but yet what is he saying in Galatians 5? If the Spirit of God lives in you, then walk in the Spirit. It's almost useless, God's Spirit being in you, because you're not walking in the fruit of the Spirit. There's not a love and a joy and a peace and a patience and a kindness. You understand, you can be born again and look like a non-born again person. The only person that really knows you're born again is Jesus, because he can look on your heart and see the Holy Spirit in you. But yet Paul says, man, if you walk according to the flesh, then that the flesh is going to win because the spirit and the flesh are warned against each other. And if you walk in the spirit, you won't be walking in the flesh. But if you're walking in the flesh, you won't be walking in the spirit. God's spirit's in you, but you're not experiencing the power of love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And so Christians can walk unanointed, even though they're anointed. Christians can walk in the flesh, even though they're really spirit beings, because God's called them to be born again. And, and I say to you, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Walk in a manner worthy of Him, pleasing Him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of Him. But we also discovered that after the Holy Spirit came in the believers, the Lord said, go wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just like people that were empowered throughout history. And so they waited for the power of the Spirit. And this is where Paul tells us, don't despise prophecy. Don't quench the Spirit. Test all things, but yet don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't despise prophecy. Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. So a Christian could be walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And how beautiful and wonderful it is, and I'd say you're basically there. But yet Jesus said, I'm going to have you go into the world and preach my name. And my desire is that that word that you preach would be confirmed with power. In Mark 16, you lay hands on the sick. You prophesy, you raise the dead. If somebody tries to kill you and with a snake or poison, I won't let it affect you. Spirit. And the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and Peter preached a regular old sermon. But God's power was there and 3,000 souls were saved. But guess what happened a few weeks later? They saw the glory fading. <laughs> the power was waning. And in Acts chapter 4, they came back and they said, Lord, help us. We need another day of Pentecost. And he said, no, you don't. As Paul later would say in Ephesians 4, be filled with the Spirit. 
be filled, and then the, the Greek is keep on being filled with the Spirit. And so they cried out again, and the place shook, and God filled them up with power again. And they went out doing miracles, even to the point where Peter's shadow was falling on people and healing them. It makes me think of that passage where Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and even greater works than these will you do, because I go to my Father. And so this is an important point, because sometimes Christians read this story, we're getting ready to read about Saul, that the Holy Spirit departed from him. And they think, oh no, the Holy Spirit's departing from me. No, that, that, that's not a possibility in the New Testament. The New Testament makes it clear when the Holy Spirit enters a believer that God will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible makes it clear that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Maybe like Ananias and Sapphira, God will give you a spanking that just causes you to drop dead and come home. Or in 1 Corinthians 11, when those people were taking communion in an unworthy manner, got weak, sick, and then some died because they just wouldn't repent. And it says that they died so they wouldn't be judged along with the world, but they were watching the Spirit and shaming the church and stumbling people during those love feasts where God finally just said, I've got to deal with you. So what happened here is, is that as New Testament believers, yes, God's Spirit's not going to leave us. Our salvation's been kept by the power of God forever and ever. But we can walk in the flesh. And when that happens, the law begins to crush us once again. Our conscience begins to condemn us once again. And what a miserable place to live. Or we set in, we don't want to have to fight Satan. Boy, you go out and try to share the Lord or start being fruitful. Satan will just smack you down in an instant. And if you're going to see people come to Christ, just let me stop and ask you this question right now. Have you shared the Lord with somebody this last year and they came to Christ. I just simply want to say, Jesus makes it clear, go into the world and preach the gospel. I, I do think that in this church here, we should have, what, everybody have a chance to share the Lord and, and see the joy of leading somebody to Christ. You know what God made us for? To be lights and to see others? Has it happened through your life? Well, okay, half of you. Anybody think half of the people here have shared their faith and led somebody to Christ this last year? 30% of you? What am, what am I trying to say here, guys? Is that I, I think there is a point where we don't have to say, don't take thy Holy Spirit from me like you did Saul. But I do think there's a point where we're saying, are we quenching the Spirit? Are we grieving the Spirit? Are we, like Saul, not anointed by God and the power of God and the love of God? And, and that is a reality. 
That's touching the world around us. It's just very simply, we need to pray for God's power. When's the next Sunday night prayer meeting, Curtis? Third Sunday of this month. Let's pray for God's power of His Holy Spirit to come upon us. Well, in Saul's case, since he had no use of the Spirit of God being upon him because he had no desire to be obedient, the power of God's Spirit was irrelevant to him. And probably like Samson, God removed the Holy Spirit from Saul and he knew it not because he was a man of the flesh, a man with self-strength. Surely it is a distressing spirit from God in the troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out the man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon him, and you shall be well. Interesting that they saw that God's, the power of God's spirit was gone. Satan said, hey, he's not walking under the submission of God, so there's no umbrella over this guy. He's the man who is empowered by himself and his army and his sword and his size and his money. And, and so now I can take all the pot shots at him I want. And so he just occasionally says, hey, you know, demons, when you get a chance, don't, don't spend too much time out. You already got it. But if you happen to be up there in, in you know, by Jerusalem area, just, just stop in there and torment Saul a little bit, would you? But it's interesting that those who were spiritual discerned it, that to set this guy free, we need to have the worship of the Lord. And I wonder if they tried it. Music therapy. I, I think there was always music going on in the palace. And this guy's playing, and this band is playing, and these girls are singing, and, 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 and it's just not helping. But then somebody says, you know what? There is a worship that can overcome Satan. And it's not just music itself. It all has to do with the worshiper. And with this particular worshiper, David, and by the way, he's skillful. It sounds good, too. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard people saying that we drive not only demons away, but angels and everybody else. But he's saying it's, it's, it's delightful. And that there's something about this guy. He, he tells us there, yeah, he's, he's, he's good. He can play. He's skillful in playing. But also the stories have gotten out about how he killed the lion and the bear. He's a man of valor. And at this time, he's starting to, to, to learn the art of the slingshot, like most of those of Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin were sort of together as one tribe. The Benjamites could have, or ambidextry, could have two slingshots going at one time and be perfectly accurate. David had some good boyhood friends. He's prudent in speech. He's gracious and intelligent. He's not talking all the time, but when he does talk, you want to listen. And he's a handsome person. And most of all, 
the Lord is with him. So if you will have this guy, David, come, those demons will be overcome in worship. Did we get this? In Job, it says when creation was being built, all the angels were singing. So angels were singing way before man ever sang. And we happen to know the chief worship leader, <laughs> we know who that is, don't we? Lucifer. A powerful guy who swayed a third of the angels. He was a rock star. He, he was an anointed cherub who covered. And with that spiritual power of music, he was glorious. And, and he, when he said, I should be lifted up, I should be as the most I got, you would think of angels who are before the Lord, seeing the Lord, seeing the throne, seeing the sheriff and seraphim, in heaven with the Lord would, would just go, Are you, what? You could even come up with such a thought. But all these angels, a third of them, a third of them, said, You're glorious, Lucifer. I, I can see that. Yeah, you should be lifted up. That's God. Wow. And so, what do we discover here? Is that God's intent is that when we worship, it heals us. And it overcomes the evil one. Do you think everybody has that experience when we come to worship? I think a lot of people are just sort of going, ah, some of this is over the better. I think a lot of people that way with fellowship afterwards. I think they're that way during the sermon. I think it just it's your heart right now is 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 hanging in there, but it's weak and weird. And to come back to that place to realize, hold on. Mm. Lord, I want the power of your spirit. Who is David, this little boy? And it was evident that God's spirit was upon him. They first saw it when he played music. God's spirit's upon this boy. And then they also identified that he is a man of integrity and power, and, and he's brave. And then on top of that, we see that, that, that God has made him nice to look at. And, and, and more than that, we just see everywhere he goes with his words and with his lifestyle, God's hand is upon him. You know what we call that? Walking in the Spirit. <laughs> right? When we find mercy and truth about us, the proverb says, we find favor in the eyes of God and men. We'll finish it up in verse 20 here. And Jesse took a donkey, that's his dad, loaded with bread, skin, and wine, didn't want to be a freeloader, <laughs> went there and, and with a young goat and sent him, uh, his son David, on, up to Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him. And he, David, loved him, Saul, greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So after a rehearsal, um, Saul says, David, I don't want you going home. I want you staying here. And so it was whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take the harp and play with his hand, and Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit 
would depart from him. Lord, let it be so amongst us. Grace, 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 God. That when we come here to worship you, whether it's in music or in hearing the sermon or in praying for each other or talking to each other about what God has been speaking to us and listening to what God's been speaking to them, whether it's in eating, sitting down and eating and drinking, that you would be glorified in everything. And by the power of your spirit, you would draw men to yourself and demons would be broken from empowering their, their life to be wrecked. That the, the wicked claws of the enemy would be ripped out as we sing through the teaching of the word as we're loving each other. Lord, let all of us have a true worship experience where you, Jesus, are here. Two or three gathered. Two or three could not be in the spirit. Two or three could be weak and weary. But not if you, Jesus, are here, even if we are carnal, even if we are weak, even if we are sinful, even if we are struggling, and we come to that throne of grace together, two or three of us coming together to worship you, and say, Jesus, help us, give us mercy and strength to help us in our time of need. Lord, have mercy upon us, and that the demonic yoke would be broken, and we'd be filled up once again with your Holy Spirit, and we would be refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit of the evil one would be gone. Please, Lord, let this be a house where people come to know you. Let our lives be like a light, like the sun itself that can't be hidden. Let us be the salt of the earth. Yes, it stings, but it brings taste and it brings Let what you're doing here amongst us be so powerful that just the shadow of this place would fall upon men driving by and they would be healed. Lord, we ask for more. Let's just stand up right now. Let's just all lift up our hands together. God says He desires that everybody, especially the men who lift up holy hands, and, and just let's cry out, God, more, more, more. God, we want to be filled with Your Spirit, God. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord. Fill us up with Your Spirit, Lord. We want more, God. We want to see more people come to know you. We want to see more fruitfulness in our life. We want to see you do all that's in your heart here at Calvary Chapel Red Love. Amen to that? Amen. 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 You pray. Right out. Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. We need you, God. Pour it out, Lord. Pour it out, Lord. We want to be all that you want us to be, God. Yes, Lord, hear our cry. Whatever it takes, God. Do it. Yield before you. Yield before you, Lord. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done.